I have to figure out if I'm an optimist or a pessimist. And I don't know anymore. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Prima. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mans. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. TGIF, everyone. We are here to talk some positivity today. But before we get to that and to our honored guest of this hour, let's say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you doing, sir? Talking positivity? Woo, this is my wheelhouse. All right, here we go right there. Let's do work. All right. Damn. Benny, you're probably one of the most positive people I know. <laughs> ah, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. He's so, also what I would call an overcomer because if he runs into some technical difficulty or some issue, whatever it may be, Benny is one of those guys who sees it as a mountain to be climbed rather than to just hide himself underneath it and hope the avalanche just takes care <laughs> of the rest. I know? do like some challenges from time to time. Thank you, Gary. I do. Yes. Very good. All right. Good to be working with you <laughs> always. as always, Benny. Today, we have a returning guest. I like to call folks like him a returning veteran to our show, Richard Spitzer. And he has a new work that builds on his previous work. And it's just one of those, it, it deserves the term seminal, though at the same time, I think Mr. Spitzer would be quick to add that whatever one thinks of his work, he stands on the shoulders of giants. But then he builds on these concepts and makes them accessible to the rest of us. His book is called Discover Your Positivity Intelligence, Lessons to Develop Your Positivity IQ for Success. And that is the substance of our hour today. Positivity intelligence is the ability to understand and manage your inevitable positive, negative, and uncertain thoughts to increase your probability of success. Positivity intelligence is the evolution of centuries of positive thinking advice with the first practical definition and measurement of what it means to be more positive. One of the most pervasive types of advice in pop psychology, success programs and wellness and cognitive practices is to be more positive and positive most of the time. However, Richard Spitzer learned from his research about success and achieving goals that the traditional guidance did not actually give him the tools to understand, measure and manage his levels of positive thinking and self-talk. And what he did was he made this a huge project for himself. We're going to get the details about that, and we will be sure to give out all of his contact information at the bottom of the hour break. Welcome once again to Manson Mitchell, Rich Spitzer. Great. Thanks to be back with you, Suzanne and Gary. Delighted, Rich. We're we're very happy for the chance to talk to you while it is still January, where people, whether it's to a greater or lesser degree, and of course, the, the amount of time they can keep it going depends on the individual, but it's always good to talk to someone about positivity during this month of high-minded resolve. It's the start of a new year. People want more. People want to do better. They want to be better. And I think that your work would help to exponentiate their progress along those lines. 
Well, I hope so. You know, this is the third time I think I'm on your show. And the first time was about uh, manifestation. I got into law of attraction and manifestation many, many years ago. Then I learned something and it was insufficient. And I moved on to positive thinking and positivity. And I wrote another book. And in that process, I learned and evolved. And, you know, I talked to a lot of people and, you know, some users and they all had questions like, this is great, but where do I start and how does it work? And then the light bulb went off. I'm talking philosophy and mechanics, but not really always explaining uh, how it is to achieve this, this elusive goal of being positive. So as I went back into my research, and by the way, uh, as you may recall, I mean, I spent 55 years in communications and behavioral research. I mean, I did this kind of work for hundreds of clients and thousands of projects like, why do things work? How do people think? How do they make decisions? So I made myself the research project over the years. And hopefully this will be the last installment of, you know, my elusive quest for a secret of success, which is uh, to be more positive. And the last you know, key point on that is, yes, everybody said be more positive. Therapists said it, books said it, you know, stoic philosophers said it, uh, Henry, you know, Thoreau said it, Tony Robbins says it. Uh, we all accept the concept, but I was kind of surprised. Uh, be more positive is never defined. We don't know how much more really is. How do you measure it? How do you get feedback on it? How do you become more positive or in other, uh, you know, uh, traditional terms, how do you develop a positivity habit? So I said, aha, you know, that's it. Even my wife agreed. I finally had the hook that, uh, you know, what does it mean to be more positive? undefined for hundreds of years. So hopefully I took a, a first step at making that more formal. I was discussing your appearance today with a friend of mine, and I was saying just what you said now, that you made yourself like one of your clients the way you did when you were working for 55 years in, in one company and you had clients. And so when you wanted to answer this question for yourself, how to be more positive, you treated it as though you were the client and you went out and did the research on all of this as though this was going to be a, a, a paying job for you, right? Well, it's been an excellent unpaid job so far. But uh, but yes, I became you know, somewhat obsessed with this concept. Uh, I guess it was an evolution. And, uh, you know, clients always said, Okay, tell me everything I need to know. Tell me the things I don't even know that I should be asking about. I don't want to miss anything. Well, you can't do all of those. But, you know, I got so intrigued with this because so many smart people over the centuries said, you know, you are what you think. You attract what you think about. Um, you know, I could sum up the entire history of positive thinking in, uh, in four quotes. I don't know if you want to get into that, but, you know, it's uh, it's it's mostly observational research. Four quotes. We have time for four quotes. Yeah. Go for it. Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. Well, that's the whole idea of, you know, can you achieve? Do you have the positive confidence to do it? Um, Willie Nelson said. Replace negative thoughts with positive thoughts, and you'll have more positive outcomes. Well, okay, 
great advice. Again, how do you do it? Thomas Edison, and he had quite a few quotes on this, said, one of our greatest weaknesses lies in giving up. The most certain way to succeed is always to try it just one more time. And countless people have said, winners are just people who tried one more time. Lynn Sombardi. So what I discovered in positivity is it's not just a positive thought. It's perseverance, resilience, adaptability, uh, patience. But the most critical thing about when I've talked with people and read things about uh, it's too hard, it's too much work. Uh, there's a quote by several people. Uh, one of them was, uh, his name is Jim Rohn. He said, we must all suffer one of two things, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret of disappointment. So do you want to do a little pain to achieve your goals or do you want to spend a lifetime of regret that you didn't even try? So to me, this all filled into uh, what positivity is. You have a goal, you have a purpose, uh, you persevere, and you keep doing it until you do it. Like they said, the winners are the people who tried one more time. Regarding that Jim Rohn quote, I had written that down to talk about with you today for um, for our interview because um, I related it to the fact that last year in 2023, we took 364 walks. It was a goal of mine in early in the year to really build up my walking and my stamina for um, other things I wanted to do, like, you know, visiting national parks and traveling and all of that. I wanted to make sure that I could walk long distances. And, and, one of the things that you talk about with regard to that Jim Rohn quote about you're going to suffer one of two things, the pain of discipline or the pain of regret and disappointment. You you say in the book that the discipline is painful and there was many, many, many a time when we said, oh, I don't feel like walking today. And we did it anyway. And usually one or the other of us was just a a little bit more motivated and a little bit more saying, well, come on, come on, we'll just take a short walk. And you say in the book that the pain of discipline, once you've done that thing, it disappears. Right. But when you have regret and disappointment, well, you know, we didn't walk today that that pain stays with you. And I thought, how fascinating. If you use that discipline to do the thing you don't want to do, you feel better about yourself and the pain goes away. Exactly. I mean, you know, if you were up for 24 hours a day, maybe you have to put in 30 minutes of discipline that I really don't want to do. But in, in real life, if you don't do that, you'll have 23 and a half hours of regret. And, you know, walking is a great idea, but, you know, there's other life's challenges. I didn't take that job. I didn't start that business. I didn't develop these relationships. Those regrets can fill every waking moment. But, uh, but it comes back to, you know, positivity is, you know, is looking for my secret of success. And there are a lot of books, a lot of programs, a lot of philosophies, but I was pretty, you know, down to earth. Here are things I want to do that, you know, became more challenging after I retired. 
what's missing and you know positive thinking why was i not sufficiently positive and you know if i could just comment on the use of the word intelligence uh that's the epiphany i had a little over a year ago that you know i had law of attraction positivity positive thinking and i realized as i got into the way many you say the, the shoulders i've stood on the way that people framed it is that there's been an evolution of uh, recognition of human intelligence. You know, we all know about the IQ. You know, Einstein has an IQ. You know, it's a the average is 100. And you know, IQ was formalized back in uh, the late 1800s. English statisticians. So everybody, you know, was familiar with IQ means potentially smart, uh, and that's the way it was for almost 100 years. And then uh, come up to the 1990s, uh, uh, Harvard psychologist, Howard Gardner, uh, said, you know, you're not just IQ smart. There's many kinds of smart. There's spatial, there's artistic, there's logical, there's interpersonal, there's uh, physical. Michael Jordan, you know, uh, a politician, good or bad. People have different kinds of intelligence that allow them to succeed. Then came recognition that there's also emotional intelligence, how you manage yourself and your relationships. Yes. And then there was positive mm -hmm. psychology from, uh, uh, you know, at the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, the professors there said, you know, let's not just focus on the negatives of human behavior and emotions, but on the positive. Uh, so this evolution of intelligence has been with us now since the late 1800s. And I realized positivity, the ability to be aware of, measure and manage your ability to control your thoughts in a way that supports your goal was another type of innate intelligence but we're never taught that you know it's a potential like everything else so uh everybody who succeeded has said i kept working at it people told me i could do it i believed in myself but how do you keep that going so what i did in this book is yeah here's the the basics of what the PIQ is the positivity IQ. And then here are the lessons that I learned as I look back that helped me, you know, achieve what you we're talking about today. Cause I didn't know I could write another book about this. I was getting kind of frustrated that it wasn't working to, to my expectations. You have a lot of lessons in this book so that, you know, people can look at, at, all these various ways of looking at success and looking at achieving goals. And one of the things that really caught my attention, Rich, was, you know, that if you decide there's something that you want to do, it, it could be to um, get a degree, uh, be healthier, start a business, form a new relationship, whatever that might be. It was interesting that you said that there are always twin goals. There's two things that have to be happening at the same time. There is never just the goal. There's also something that is is partnered with it and glued to it. So I wanted you to say a little bit about that. Exactly. You know, every self-help regimen, uh, especially in health and wellness areas, they tell you, you know, you can lose weight, you can become more fit, you can eat a healthier lifestyle, and just keep at it. I subscribe to several of the uh, health and wellness programs out there to get into their their protocols. 
and they all say the same thing. You know, here's you can keep a log of what you're doing and maintain a positive attitude. You know, if you're going to be making progress every week, you want to see you've done, like you say, you, you take your walks or whatever. Uh, so keep a physical record of what you're doing on that regimen. But there's no corresponding uh, measure of how do I think about it? And you can yes. Google this. There are hundreds yeah. of studies yeah. out there that said 50, 60, 70 percent of the people fail to achieve or give up on their health and wellness goals because it didn't meet expectations. They got frustrated, disappointed, discouraged. So I have a little picture in the book there. It says it's a tale of two scales. You know, it shows a scale that you might stand on or tape. And then it shows a measurement of your positivity IQ. And it says, you probably won't see it here unless you can achieve it here. But basically, it's what Henry Ford said. If you don't think you can do it, you're not going to put it, you're not going to have the motivation, the discipline, the perseverance. Your mind will give up before your body will. And I want to drive this this point home uh, one more time with reading directly from your book. And uh, because I, I just thought this was like critically important with everything that you were talking about. The primary goal may be to start a business, complete your education and improve your health and wellness. You have a definite measurable goal and will likely use a specialty program. The secondary and necessary goal is to maintain motivation, discipline, and confidence in the program and your ability. You must believe you can achieve your goal and keep working on it. Don't give up on your ultimate goal because you think you can't do it. First, check your positivity IQ to know if your current beliefs and self-talk support or sabotage your ultimate goal. And I was telling somebody uh, about this, that, that in reading your book, Discover Your Positivity Intelligence, that those two things were actually hand in hand. You have that, that, that goal that you want, but, the, but right there married to it, as glued to it, as close as it can be is, do you believe you can achieve that goal? Right. Henry Ford, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And, you know, observational research. You had a guest on last week. Was it Danny Levin? Yes. Yeah, I listened to, you know, most of it. And he made something about people don't pay enough attention to a number of things. And one of the things we do not pay attention enough to is the importance and value of how our thoughts and feelings are influencing all subsequent you know, choices and decisions. You know, we're not taught to be that kind of effectively self-aware. We're told to be, you know, you know, watch what you say, you know, try to be more positive, but we're not, you know, really formally educated on, on these skills. We're taught to wash our hands, brush our teeth, shake hands, be polite, but how to think positively for yourself is a matter of, you know, your born personality, your mentored, or hopefully, like many of us, we have to go out and recognize we need to learn something and there are sources to do that. Rich, I have read online now and again from people who feel that whatever else you can say about negativity, and a lot of what we say about negativity is negative itself because we wanna get away from that kind of thinking. There are those who believe, including some in the scientific community, 
that negativity does serve an evolutionary purpose and has its roots in those days when we humans or pre-humans used to live in caves where we felt safe and warm and having gathered food we could eat but we were mindful of the fact that on any given day there could be a saber-toothed tiger outside waiting to devour us so negativity was not entirely useless right you know you got right to one of the points that threw me off course for many years that I'd read the books, I'm going back to the New Thought Movement in the 1800s, early 1900s, that be positive. And it was always be positive, don't be negative. Uh, you attract what you think about, so don't have any negative thoughts. Impossible, like you said. You know, a, a modest level of negativity is an evolutionary survival mechanism. The peop We are here today because our ancestors were sufficiently negative, cautious, fearful, uncertain, and doubtful about going into the cave, crossing the mountain, walking through the river, eating the poisonous berries. Yes, a modest level of negativity is absolutely survival mechanism. But what I got thrown off course was that be positive, don't be negative. And then I realized it makes sense when you say it, but how do you actually measure it? And as I got into it, I found a couple of academic uh, studies where people said, we have found a ratio that if you have a negative thought, you need three or four positive thoughts to, you know, counteract them or a negative experience. Well, that's not practical. I could have three negative thoughts. Now I need 15 positive thoughts. I mean, you can't live your life. So I said, you don't have to be 100% positive. That's irrational, impossible, and it's actually detrimental. We still need to be cautious. There are still risks out there. They're not saber-toothed tigers, but they're everything else around, as you said. So I said, where do we start with a mathematical explanation of when they say be more positive, how do we measure it? Well, there are universal laws of math that describe everything. For better or for worse, I said, um, where do we have an established mathematical principle that says this is where more and most is. And you've seen in the book, the bell-shaped curve. The IQ chart shows a bell-shaped curve. Most is in the middle. 68% of in any distribution uh, occur in the middle. You know, we'll get into all the standard deviation stuff. But So here's a principle that guides, you know, quantum probability, quality control, navigation, everything in our life. There's a normal distribution in most cases. Technical people will say, well, there's this and that. But so uh, to me, it seems self-evident that if IQ distribution has the bell-shaped curve and most people are in the middle, how about translating that, adapting it to what level of positive thoughts are sufficient to, over, to overcome any negative thoughts? And I said, well, people have said for almost 200 years, 68% is the middle. So let's start there. So 68% is my threshold of if you can maintain that level of positivity about your goal, you've reached that portal of uh, a positivity habit that won't be overwhelmed by the inevitable discouragement, doubts, obstacles. So you're right. You don't want to get rid of the negatives. They're a protection, but you don't want them to discourage you from your positive intentions. 
Thank you, Gary. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could provide that opening because it certainly is worth considering. Yes, uh, supply side positivity is lovely when you're in conversation, but it's not practical is what I've found because you can go on a on a real tear of positivity and then run into an obstacle that leaves you feeling flummoxed or defeated in a matter of moments. What do you do then? To what do you turn? Well, I would suggest that having, having sharpened your reasoning skills, you will realize the benefit of rational thought applied to positive, reasonable goals. And we'll get into that on the other side of the break, but uh, you have a lot to say in your book. And again, the title also, is- more specifics. We're gonna get into some weeds here after the break. That's right. Richard Spitzer is our guest, and his book is called Discover Your Positivity Intelligence, Lessons to Develop Your Positivity IQ for Success. Reason is a great thing, but it, does it drive your bus? Does it take over to the exclusion of creativity? That's the sort of topic we will get into on the other side of this break. Let's go ahead and take our once per show break right now. More with Richard Spitzer, more of Manson Mitchell on the other side of a couple of minutes. Stick with us. We will be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcome Rich Spitzer, who shares how to discover your positivity intelligence, actual lessons to develop positivity in your life and increase your chance for success. On Saturday, Joey Medea, ghost researcher, author, playwright, returns for another hour we call Metaphysical Q&A. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Seattle, Tacoma, Antwerp. 
That's right. We're streamed worldwide on our app and on the web at 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell. And our guest this hour, Richard Spitzer. He's the author of Discover Your Positivity Intelligence, Lessons to Develop Your Positivity IQ for Success. Richard, if people would like to find out more about you, your book, uh, any Thing that you may have going on that our listeners would like to find out more about, please let them know how to get in touch with you. No, thank you. Well, the website is modernpositivity.com. Um, like I said, this has been an evolutionary process. And, you know, I wrote a book, wrote a second book, but now I've said this is really a course. This is a learning experience. And there's three components. There's the book, Discover Your Positivity Intelligence, which lays out the principles, the positivity IQ target, and covers the, the lessons I learned over looking back retrospectively, what did I have to learn to build a positivity habit? So there's a book, but you know, a book is not enough. You're trying to learn a skill, develop a habit. So I took much of what was in there and turned it into a workbook, you know, exercises based on the key principles that get you, you know, to physically write something down, evaluate yourself, so you don't just read it and turn over a corner of a page. Uh, but these exercises to me represented a lot of the things I had to think about for myself. So it's, it's a modest size workbook, uh, but it's got all the exercises that come from the key principles of the primary book. Both of those are available on Amazon. They were just published last week. The third component, when I say discover your, your, your positivity IQ and there's a measurement, well, you know, I developed, you know, a couple of years ago and I've refined it, basically the positivity IQ scorecard, a simple seven point statement where if you have a goal, ideally once a week, you sit down and in 30 seconds say, well, how was I thinking about my goal this week? Did I make progress, my positive or negative? And you fill in the scorecard. It's in Excel or Google Sheets. I'm working on an app. Um, and it gives you a score. What level of positivity have you achieved? And your goal is to get it up to 68%. And to me, this was critical because I said the original question was when people said, you got to be more positive, I didn't know what that meant. How much will be enough more to be successful? How will I measure it? And I explained before, well, I started with the 68% level. So the scorecard, uh, simple little spreadsheet, you fill in the numbers, it automatically calculates your score. It shows you on a chart uh, what it is, you know, week to week. There's a tracking chart in there. And I think I owe you a copy of that. And uh, you can watch your progress. I recommend doing it once a week, uh, at least every two weeks, because you go longer than two weeks, you know, your memory is not measurement. You need to, to record it. But literally, in 30 seconds a week, you can take your not just your positive IQ, but you take your positivity temperature. You know, you take your blood pressure, your, you put your thermometer under your tongue. We want to know your your state of well-being of something critical. Uh, you need to measure it. Uh, many people have said you can't change what you can't measure. And we're talking about changing your whole way of thinking. And, you know, it's not a hobby. Positivity is, is a way of life. So the scorecard is my a unique assessment tool that's only available through the website because Amazon won't sell, you know, spreadsheet based products like that. So uh, you can buy all three of them as a package at the website for a little reduced price, 
where you can buy the book and the workbook on Amazon and uh, buy the workbook, uh, the scorecard separately and I'll send it to you along with a whole you know guide of how to use it. Uh, you get free updates for a couple of years. There will be some and uh, you know have somebody working on an app but this is, comes down to if I couldn't measure if I was more positive, how would I know if I'm more positive? And uh, it's all like I say, all at modernpositivity.com. It's all been updated and hopefully explains everything. And certainly any people who have questions. I even talked to clinicians uh, uh, over the past year, you know, mental health clinics. They're interested in finding another way of getting their patients engaged in their, uh, you know, their self-exploration. Uh, you can go to a therapist. I've done that. You can feel good when you walk out, but two days later, I don't feel so positive. I got to wait another week uh, to talk to somebody. So I wanted something that would also allow me to, you know, take my positivity temperature. Uh, and the workbook has your weekly. It has uh, a separate score sheet where I don't want to wait a week. I want to know right now, am I up or down? So it's got all the things that a normal person would do. I want to do it now. I want to do it on a regular schedule and I want to practice. So basically everything that I felt was missing, I try to put in there so that other people would have it too. What you talk about in terms of checking up really when you feel the need between appointments, Rich, reminds me of biofeedback. It's great to have that feedback, self-feedback, if you have standards to work with, such as you present in your, your book and your workbook, a way to measure how you're doing, and then you can decide how you feel about that. So there is a strong cognitive element there, but it does involve measurement, and you can do it in the comfort of your own home between appointments with your therapist or whomever you seek guidance from in your daily life. Right. This is right. This is positivity feedback. This is exactly what it is. And if I was doing a health and wellness program, maybe I'm not seeing a therapist, but you know, like you said, we do walking too when the weather's not so snowy and uh, many other things. So, you know, I, I don't do this as regularly as I used to, because I've been doing it for a few years now. So I can sort of take my own mental, you know, shortcut to how I'm feeling. But uh, once you get in the routine, you know, you, you kind of outgrow some of the tools, but the habit is built. You know, when your first thought is negative, you want to change it to positive. And uh, you have to develop that habit. You know, that is to me a, a cardinal point to underscore. I have experimented off and on throughout the years, and I'm doing it once again. When I experience an unwanted thought, a thought that is intrusive, it's negative, I want to discard it. I have over many years, unfortunately, been in the habit of analyzing and then overanalyzing and analyzing still more the elements of the thought. I break it down into its component parts and then I try to reconcile them and I decide, well, what can I keep? What do I want to discard? Maybe I want to get rid of the whole thing. And then it occurred to me, what if I just decided that it's not important for me to complete a negative thought and to take it to a logical conclusion in my own mind? This is all internal stuff. What if I decide that a thought isn't worth completing? I can simply 
let it go. And by doing that, I can turn my attention back to the present moment and cogitate and live more fruitfully without all of the garbage that shows up on my mental doorstep. And then I'm saying, well, what do I do with it? Why not just let it go and focus on something else? Exactly. You know, I, I may clarify this in the book, positive thinking, positive thoughts. That's the most common, but it's really, you know, self-talk. You know, you can have a negative thought, comes and goes. But when you connect all those negative thoughts together and you start telling yourself those negative stories, that's where the damage is done. Because it's the stories that convince you that uh, I'm not going to achieve my goal. It hasn't worked out before. And like I say, in the positivity scorecard, unlike a lot of clinical things where it says, I'm happy today, I'm not happy today, I wrote out statements statements that I would say to myself, you know, I'm working on it, but I don't seem to be making any progress. That's what we say to ourselves. We don't picture a smiley face in our head and say, yes, that's me today. So I try to use statements that come from the way we actually talk to ourselves. Like I say, this is what I did for over 50 years. How do you write questions that connect with the way people actually think and speak? Not in a technical or formal way, but everyday usage. And I went through a lot. How many ways do I talk to myself? And that's what I wanted to capture in, in the scorecard, but also in the lessons in the book. You say in the book, uh, Rich, that tools are not an end in themselves. And I think of uh, all of the, the, the you know books that I've read and things that I've heard and people that we've talked to. And, you know, you're, you're right when it, it, it only makes a difference if you do something with it. It's like everything works if you work the program. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention about having both the, the book and the workbook is that I've had many a book where at the end of the chapter, they say, take a piece of paper and write down, you know, the top three things. And, and so there's instructions about doing something physical in in a book where you actually provide the workbook. So you don't have to go and find a piece of paper. You can just go to the workbook and do what the workbook says. So I like how complete it is between the information in the book and then doing the workbook and doing the scorecard because it is so practical. And, and it I think it helps with people that want to go a little bit deeper on this. If you've been to a bunch of websites, heard a bunch of blogs, read a bunch of books, and nothing is making a difference, which sounds like the journey that you went through. Now, here is a very practical way to actually put pen to paper and and do the things that will give you the answers that you need. Because it use the tool. Yeah. Use the tool for the outcome. Exactly. You know, when I talked to, the, say, clinicians last year, even though we didn't work out, one of the things that struck me uh, was that they say, well, we have a difficult patient population. We talk to them. They come in for weekly meetings for a variety of issues. Um, and it's hard to get them engaged. We, we, we have group meetings. We have discussions. We ask them to fill out pieces of paper sometimes. They don't always do it. But I said, well, the key issue here is engagement. What do people get engaged with? 
If you say, here's a blank piece of paper, tell me what's on your mind, you don't get much. If you give people something more structured, you do get answers more likely. But the whole idea of the scorecard is everything in our life has a measurement. Our report cards in school, uh, everything in health and wellness, is our blood pressure lower? Are we walking faster? Um, am I getting a raise? Everything in our world is measured. And I came up with the idea of the scorecard because we're used to, we want to know how we're doing. We need a progress report. And the idea of, yeah, I want to know what my score is this week. It gets people engaged in the work they're doing. They get feedback. They can say, oh, I'm at a 58. You know, maybe in another week I'll be at 68. So you can see I'm making progress in changing my way of thinking. But if it's just open-ended, uh, like, we'll come back next week and we'll talk about it, that was not sufficient for me. I needed the, I needed feedback on, am I thinking what I'm thinking? And if I'm not, you know, how far off am I? But I want to stress one thing, you know, positivity does not guarantee success. It increases the probability of success. You know, you still have to, like Gary said, you still have to use it. You have to use it properly. You have to build the habit and you have to apply it to something. Whatever it is you want to do, you got to stay focused on that goal. And it doesn't mean you're going to become a happy person unless that's your singular goal. But if they can spill over, you know, when I was talking to someone about three or four months ago, they said, how do you know that this works? You know, I looked at your materials. I read your book. We're doing this, you know, this interview. How do I know that what you're telling me works? And I said, uh, you know, Harry, because we're here talking about it because I developed this positivity skill that made me keep working on it one more time so that you and I are sitting here having this discussion. I achieved that goal. So, yeah, it worked for me for this stage. And now I have another goal to bring it out to the world. I did want to add one thing. Suzanne and I were talking earlier in the week, contemplating this interview with you today, Rich. And we agreed that there is a good example in from the military world, and that is the torpedo. The torpedo, people think, okay, you fire the torpedo, it goes straight to the target, it blows up the enemy ship, and that's how it works. But teleologically, it doesn't work that way. A torpedo self-corrects its way to the target. It isn't a straight line. It knows it's off course, it adjusts. It goes off course in the other direction, it adjusts. It continually adjusts until it reaches its target. It can be that way, and I think there's an argument to be made that in terms of human performance, it's that way anyway with us humans. Exactly. exactly. This is a, you're right, this is a, a, a lifelong uh, project, self-correcting. That's why I have the 36 lessons. You know, one of my worst, and it's not on account, of course, is patience. You know, I'm not a patient person. And I read something in a, in a book by someone else. His name is Richard Dots. He's written a lot of books on manifestation. And the he, way he put it showed me how negative impatience is. He said, basically, impatience is because you're afraid of it not working out. You want to find out how it is. Impatience is total 100% negativity. I'm afraid of the outcome. I'm afraid I won't know the outcome. I'm afraid I won't achieve it. And I have a lot of impatience to see how things are going to work out. And to your point, and I say in the book, I got to work on that every week. I'm always impatient to 
to see what's next because I'm worried that maybe it won't be what I expect. So that's one of my fundamental lessons to maintain my positivity. On the other hand, I'm very resilient. I think I'm relatively, you know, curious and creative. I don't have to work on that, but things like impatience and, uh, you know, and discipline. Yeah, that's a lifelong endeavor. One of the things that you um, discuss in the book that I found so incredibly intriguing for me was the idea that if we are fortunate enough to sleep eight hours a day, that still leaves 17 hours in every 24-hour period. There have been many times where I have brought up this example where I have said everybody has a 24-hour day whether you are the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or if you are living under a bridge, you still have that same 24 hours to do whatever it is that you're going to do that day. You take the 17 hours and multiply it by 60 minutes per hour and come up with 1,020 minutes per day. And in the book, you talk about being more positive for a period of time uh, for for a number of of thoughts that you have so that if we have so many thoughts per day, how can we turn some of those negative thoughts into positive ones? And you make the goal so ridiculous, how could you not do it? So I wanted you to discuss that a little bit. You know, this idea first hit me about seven, eight years ago. I went to a high-tech conference here in Chicago, software and other high-tech uh, you know, developers. And uh, the founder of a major software company said, I have the same hours a week that you do. I don't work weekends. I have these many hours a day. I built a billion-dollar company. What did you do with your time? You know, I don't have any more time. I'm married. I have kids. And I've seen a lot of people have talked about this. But as you said, you use the right word. It's ridiculous. If I said you have to be try to work on positivity 30 seconds a day, well, that's not going to do it. If I said you have to do it an hour a day, you know, people aren't even going to try. So out of the 1,020, how many thoughts do we have? Now, as a segue, you know, a lot of research out there says we have 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 thoughts a day because you know, they last a nanosecond. So try to get 300 positive thoughts, get them into six minutes. Just focus on that. You know, a lot of people have taken this approach. You know, journal for five minutes, meditate for two minutes, do something for a short period of time. But focus in this case on I'm going to be positive wholeheartedly. Just try for six minutes. It can't hurt. It can only help. And if you can do six minutes, maybe you can do eight minutes. Until how do you build a habit? It's repetition, repetition, repetition. You you say also in the book, it isn't really the number of hours, but it's the consistency of the time. And so if you, let, let's say Gary and I have a walking program. We don't walk for a week and then we, we try to walk for like five hours. That's crazy. But but if we if we walk an hour a day for five days, we've got that consistency built up. Right. And and it's easier to walk five days an hour a day than it is to walk one day for five hours. Exactly. 
And so that consistency, and when you say six minutes a day, this is six minutes out of 1,020 minutes. Yeah, it's a starting point. Pick a number that's reasonable and not ridiculous. <laughs> and to be really positive about things, taking in your mind saying, you know, it's a great day because of this and this and this. Just outline a bunch of things that are all working well and, you know, you're in good health and you're able-bodied and, you know, just like if you can just like go on and on and on for six minutes about everything positive, you're counteracting a lot of negativity. Yeah, more than you realize. Again, that's why I came up with the scorecard as an engagement and feed, you know, like you said, a biofeedback device. I want to be more positive. I'll try it again on Thursday. No, go to your scorecard and see how you're feeling. If you can get feedback, it it may clarify, may reinforce, may disappoint, but at least you know what it is you think you're thinking because you can't really analyze what you're thinking. You know, it's, it's, it's very possible. It's very difficult. So the scorecard for me is what made the difference. You know, I thought I was down. Oh, I was down more than I thought, or I'm up. But again, it's like you're saying, I'm making progress. And if I'm not making right. progress, what is holding me back? And thus, I got into these other lessons. I'm not making progress because, you know, I'm still angry at that person. I'm still impatient. So there's 36 lessons, but, you know, I think I used every one at some point in my life. But you'll find four or five or six that are the, as someone said, the major blocks to whatever you want to achieve. You have apparently a number of intellectual heroes, Rich. And one of them, and if that's the case, we share our enthusiasm and our admiration for William James. Right. And what he seemed to, and he is widely considered to be the father of modern psychology. William James had a saying regarding the power that human beings possess of altering their mental state and their emotional state as well by substituting one thought for another. How powerful it is to be able to say, I am a choice about what I allow myself to think, to ponder, and then to act upon the thoughts that I choose. Exactly, I mean, we're talking about somebody who lived 130, 40 years ago. You know, he observed them. Most of what we're talking about had been observed for centuries, not in fancy academic studies, but people observed what traits contributed to other people's success. And James was one of those people. Yes, he was a very formidable, disciplined person, you know, a very smart family. But you say he observed this and said, this is true. This is obvious. So how do you achieve his level of discipline and insight to us more ordinary people. Well, hopefully, you know, I've laid out some information that allows us to absorb some of those intellectual observations that, uh, you know, other people discovered long ago. This is what it is to stand on the shoulder of giants. Yep, uh, I thank every day for those giants. Cause, and that's one of the things, you know, that really bothered me is that, uh, why am I coming up with this at this point in time with coming up with a number when, for hundreds of years, people have said, be more positive. Uh, well, mine's a first attempt or almost a first attempt. And, you know, maybe someone will build on this or I'll live long enough to do more with it. But it's trying to get a measurement out there that's never been recognized or used with this 
positivity feedback mechanism that you've mentioned that allows us to get a head start on building this positivity habit. I love that. I love that. I, I've got more questions, but I think we might run over if I ask them all. So, so I think I ought to hit the pause button. Um, I, I do like one other quote here I wanted to read. If you don't know or believe who you are or, or are honest about what you want and your strengths and weaknesses, no book or program can make up for what's missing from your inventory of personal beliefs. Once right. more, we are talking about you must believe that you can have the thing that you say that you want to have. And in your book, Discover Your Positivity Intelligence, those 36 lessons address all of those various aspects of moving toward a goal so that you do get in touch with your own personal thinking about it and can make it a change from there. Yes? Yeah. You know, Viktor Frankl, the famous uh, Holocaust survivor psychiatrist, has had a, a renaissance in recent years. And his entire logotherapy approach, what he said was the secret of success of survival for him, and what he observed was you needed a goal, a purpose, and belief that you would see that goal achieved someday. Uh, you talk about positivity? Wow. Yeah. I mean, how do you achieve positivity in those conditions? Well, yeah. you focus on the goal. You never deviate. You know, he didn't have a scorecard. He didn't have uh, great interviews like this. But he had the discipline, the motivation, the purpose, and the desire to achieve a goal of survival. And he did it. Yep. You saw and he did it. it. I want to make sure we give out the website one more time as well as the title of the book. The website for all this great information and more is modernpositivity.com, modernpositivity.com. The book is called Discover Your Positivity Intelligence, Lessons to Develop Your Positivity IQ for Success. You start with the book, there's a workbook, there's a scorecard, and if, if you are definite about wanting to achieve certain things, these are the kinds of tools that will definitely get you there. Richard Spitzer, thank you for joining us once again and for bringing us this great information. We want 2024 to be very positive for our listeners. For you, for us, for everyone. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Rich. Thanks. Stay tuned for Robin Alexis coming up next. And this afternoon at one o'clock Pacific is American Road Trip Talk. Who do you have on today? Our buddy, Carl Petri. We're going to talk about Edsel, etc. The woulda, coulda, shoulda cars. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow, 10 a.m. Pacific, right here on AM 1150 Seattle. In the meantime, let this be the start of your great weekend.